Multiverse Tonight presents The Spinner Rack, Rick Stacy's Life in Comics. And now, here's your host. Hello, everyone. This is a brand new segment we're starting today uh, with uh, our very special friend, Rick Stacy. And we're going to call this The Spinner Rack, uh, Rick's, Rick Stacy's Life in Comics. I just I heard the spinner rack, as a matter of fact, just a moment ago. Did you hear that too? Uh, I no. think. But uh, perhaps not. Perhaps, perhaps not. maybe it's up here because I think a spinner. Oh, there you go. Good deal. I think a spinner rack is the best way for me to categorize going back to the past and talking about some some really great mm-hmm. fun comic stories. Exactly. Now, uh, let's start at the beginning, because okay. that's, a, that's a very good place to start. I like that, too. I'm going to reset my, my seat here a little bit. I'm a little uncomfortable, but at my age, I've got to be more comfortable. Better? Oh, awesome. oh yeah. That's okay. great. Okay. Um, so, for people who don't know you, yes. introduce, introduce yourself. Hi. I'm Rick Stacy, and I'm an artist and a writer, and I do some performing, and my... My main love and motivator into the art arena was comic books. And I started at a very young age when I, as a child of the um, halcyon days of of black and white television, was glued to the TV so I could watch Mickey Mouse Club, which had an artist take a series of circles and a demonstration, turn them into Mickey Mouse. And then Woody Woodpecker, where the creator, Walter Lance, would grab a series of circles and a pointy thing and create Woody Woodpecker. Now, that's all well and good because that's a fun little hobby for a little three- or four-year-old kid back in those days. But but to be exposed to the adventures of Superman with George Reeves and watching that day in and day out, it expanded my imagination. It gave me all kinds of, of great adventures and ideas and a bit of a moral compass, too. Um, that I think is so applicable today. I would sit there with a, a towel shoved in the back of my my shirt and hold on to my little kid wooden chair, and in my own homemade Superman regalia, watch all those 117 episodes over and over and over again. And that might not be too interesting. What might be really interesting is the day after my seventh birthday, and we'll just kill that little email buzz. The day after my seventh birthday. Still a little kid. Uh, my mom sent me out the driveway and she said, get the morning paper. That's uh, your little chore. And I came in and I saw in the rolled up issue of the Kansas City Times, the morning version of the Kansas City Star, a promotional photo of George Reeves. Now, I'd never seen a Superman comic in my life. I, probably, I don't think I'd seen any comics at that point. Maybe he skirted by the Sunday funnies and, and the newspaper. But I ran the paper inside and I said, Mom, Superman. Is in a paper. Pop the string off of it. I thought he's coming to a grocery store opening or some such thing like that. Pop it off there and uh, let's take a look and, and, and see what's going on. And she broke the string and she opened it up. I said, what does it say? What does it say? I'm buzzed. I'm still on a sugar high from the day before his birthday cake. And she said, oh, honey, Superman killed himself. Mm. So I was deflated and diffused and I, and I, uh, uh, uh my spirit shrunk to that of, of, of just nothingness. And I wandered back to the, to my bedroom where I had some old number two pencils. 
I don't know why they called him number two. I always wanted a number one pencil to be something. <laughs> and I picked up one of my dad's uh, uh, sketch notepads and I started drawing stick figures. And I never stopped drawing stick figures, one with a cape, because in my heart of hearts, I wasn't going to let this American mythology, this, this great contributor to what I am, mm -hmm. what I wanted to be, die. I've never stopped doing that. So that's what I am. That's who I am. I, I've worked in comics since the 70s. I kept the day gig because I like graphic arts and worked in marketing and advertising. I teach comics, cartooning, and sequential storytelling. And I've written a couple of books filled with um, thoughts, witticisms, mm -hmm. I think anyway, and poetry because everything we do, including this, as you know, is storytelling. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so that was, so you're born, born in 57, is that correct? No, 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 52. 52. Yeah. mixed up. I was born on a Sunday, number one, number two, my mom's birthday. Number three, Father's Day. That's the great trifecta. And my dad told me as a kid, he said, you're born, born on those three days. Great things are expected from you. And I said, <laughs> I was a baby. I, did, I didn't understand what he's talking about. Gee, you know. As a matter of fact, uh, you can tell from, from my little mug here, if you can see this here. Okay, this says, you may be cool. I got to do this. I got to plug myself. Okay. Yeah. You may be cool, but are you George Reeves cool? I sure don't want to spill this coffee. Yep. This is George out washing his car. Not Superman, not, not Clark Kent. I design for T Public. And mm -hmm. I do t shirts and cups and just stuff like that. And uh, have you seen the film Hollywood Land? Um, haven't seen it. Ben, ben Affleck plays George Reeves. And he tells the tale of George's career. And what may have happened from the standpoint mm -hmm. of George, George's suicide, many, many of us believe that there was no suicide. We believe that he was offed. And uh, anyway, having said that, I was out in L.A. when that came out, like 2005. Yeah. And I, I went to see an unedited rough cut version in a shopping mall, you know, a little, little storefront where nobody was. There's a party afterwards, and all of us were like aficionados of films or Ben Affleck or George Reeves. And at the uh, the party in Malibu on a rooftop, which is kind of cool for a Kansas City kid, I'm walking through the little buffet line and getting my cheese dip and my celery and my olives and what have you, trying not to spill my scotch and soda. And I hear a woman's voice singing, nobody agrees for George Reeves. Nobody. I looked up and I thought, she looks familiar, that blonde lady. And if you rounded the buffet table together, it was Loretta Swift. From oh. MASH. Yeah, this is on my website, too. And uh, she was a big fan. I guess that's how she got to come to this uh, early screening. And she said, did you like the film? And I said, yes, and what have you. And she noticed I had my Superman watch on, which I have something Superman all the time. Just It's just the way I roll or fly. And uh, she said, why are you interested? And I told her the George Reeves story. And she walked around the end of the buffet table with her drink in one hand and her dish in the other, she kissed me. Hmm. And when Hot Lips Hulan kisses you, she kisses you. It's a, big, <laughs> it's a kiss, buddy, let me tell you. And I said, why did you do that? And she said, my boy, you're still my boy. Gil Kane used to say my boy. My boy, you're still wearing a Superman watch and still drawing, right? I said, yeah. And she goes, 
you're in therapy from all this. So I'm believing that the George Reeves mm. impact stays there to this very day. And uh, in the big picture, that's okay with me. Yeah. I remember watching uh, watching the, the reruns on Nick at Night. Yeah, yeah. And then I think some, sometime after that, I think they, they did George Reeves' murder on Unsolved Mysteries at one point. I mean, that's how I remember seeing about that. It's a mainstay on YouTube right now because if you go into George Reeves, everybody has their own detailed account of what they think happened. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And I know some experts, and I take that with a grain of salt, although I'm led to believe that he was killed, mm-hmm. my, my opinion. And I also received commentary, I'll say, from Noelle Neal, who was Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, gave, got her to come to her first Comic-Con in 1980. We became very fast friends. And I saw her up till and including the time she died. Uh, not the t- time she died, but beforehand. Noelle would send us Christmas cards because she was a sweet lady every year. Yeah. Talk to Jack Larson to talk to a gentleman who knew um, Inspector Henderson, uh, Shane, Robert Shane. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the thought was, is that he was, he didn't kill himself. Let's put it that way. A lot of controversy and some maybe even litigious that would come up. I'll stay away from, but yeah. I don't, I don't think he did it. And uh, that's just my opinion. Oh yeah. And well, I stick, I stick my George Reese coffee cup on it there. So, there you go. Ooh, there right. you go. Looking good. There you go. All right. Now, uh, kind of uh, pushing the subject a little bit. Uh, do you remember the first comic book you ever read? Oh, yes, I do. I remember the first comic book I ever read because it's the first one I ever saw. And I bought it. I was a little kid uh, really suffering this loss mm-hmm. in Overland Park, Kansas. You may have heard of Overland Park. It's a <laughs> teeming big uh, area now. It was rural when we moved there mm-hmm. from the midtown of Kansas City, downtown really, Kansas City. And it was farmer fields and gravel roads and people on horses, quite honestly, back then. My father dropped me off at Red's Barber Shop on Santa Fe and Overland Park, Kansas. And he went off to where he would go off to. And I sat there in, in the barber chair. He said, stay in this barber shop until I come back and get you. And I thought, mm, I'm going to leave because he was late. I walked out of the barber shop, walked into Shalinsky's Rexall Drugstore next door. Mm-hmm. And I saw magazine racks, shelves, you know, stacks of stuff up there. At the bottom, I saw red, yellow, and blue stuff. And I locked eyeballs with what would be my first visualization, first sighting of Superman. And that was Superman Annual number one and it was 1960 i think and yeah because george died in 59 uh it was a quarter oh i love that it's not it was just a spitter rack moment and uh i had a quarter and back then they didn't charge tax so it was a it was a good world we lived in yeah and i bought it and i went back to the barbershop waiting for my dad he said where were you and i thought oh god i'm in trouble but it was worth it so that was my first comic book that would be one of many I bought mm. tons and collected and sold and this and that. And downstairs uh, near my art studio, I have a spinner rack with that a reprint of that issue 
and then uh, other issues that are important to me, be they comics I've been inspired by or I've drawn or my friends have worked on. So really, all the more reason to call this a spinner rack moment. So, Oh, yeah. And uh, so how, you know, so you start off with that, that, that issue. Mm-hmm. Did you become a, a, a big collector or was that just a layer thing? Uh, there was no such thing as big collecting back then at that point yeah. because, because there was no community that I knew of. Now, sure. I had 60, count them, 60 comic books over a period of time. I also, on my, I think my 10th birthday, uh, one of my dad's friends gave me a dollar in a birthday card. Said, hey, welcome to your big 10. This is great. And I took that dollar and that bought me a year subscription to Superman Comics. Uh-huh. Published eight times a year. And they'd send you the comic and the comic was in a brown paper mailer and the comic was folded and creased tight in the middle. So if there was any one that didn't want that for potential collectability, tough, mm-hmm. too bad. That's what you got. But I put those to one side and I'd accumulate them over uh, many years. They became my art lessons. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Kurt so, Swan. Kurt, so, uh, let me share Kurt Swan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I drew Superman uh, because he did. Uh, I love Shelly Moldoff. We became friends. We worked together uh, many cons side by side, sharing lots of very personal stories, and he is a great mentor to me. But as a little kid, I'd see Shelly Moldoff trying to ape Bob Kane's work on Batman, and I thought, I'm better than that. I could do better than that. So I had some incentive there, Carmine Infantino with the Batman new look. Mm -hmm. And as this evolved, I moved over to Marvel for a while as a preteen. And I sopped up Kirby and Ditko until I saw Neil Adams, and I lost my mind. I would skip school, take a bus trip downtown to a place called the Dirty Bookstore, where all that pulpy stuff was for the older men in the back. Mm-hmm. There were comics up front. And I would buy every comic they had, and I would read Neil's work first. So, so as you get older, then... You know, what made you decide to get into comics? I couldn't help it. I couldn't stop. That torch was passed to me because I said so. I thought mm-hmm. so. And I can't let that die, nor can I let the, the, the characters, the the, the the romance of comics, the fact that that is an American art form uh, go dormant. I have to do it. Matter of fact, I'm teaching it now at the Art Institute because I want this to go on and on. Mm-hmm. And it is comic books, of course, and, and storyboarding, yeah. but under the, the umbrella of storytelling. So people know what's gone before. People know where they can take their path now because there's there's so many freshmen at, at uh, Kansas City Art Institute mm-hmm. who are f- fervent and on fire with desire. Uh, young men, young women that want to do comics Mm-hmm. Their character, somebody else's characters, and boom, 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 they hang around the table at Planet Comic Con. Yeah. Then we establish relationships, and they've had their first class Saturday. They'll have five more. And because of my affinity and my affection for the genre and these people, I'm going to push them because they need to be pushed mm-hmm. into possible next stages. So you'll see three, count them three, at art tables and maker tables in Smallville, if you go to Smallville 
Hutchison yeah. show this summer. And of course, uh, I'll be there. You'll be there. Yes, they'll be there. Yep. They'll you, be may there. Wanna, you may want to talk to them. Oh, sure. We, we could put have... together a little symposium. That'd be great. A little, little roundtable discussion. That'd yeah. be great. I'll buy you lunch. No, Ooh. maybe I will. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're so great. They really are. Oh, that's awesome. Now, um, so let's see where the, what was your, when, 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 let me put it this way. What was your first encounter with someone famous growing up? Okay. That's a good one. <laughs> um, Score. I win. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Okay, but my uh, my first personal encounter with somebody famous, mm-hmm. I got out of high school in, uh, I was 17, in 1970, and I got on a plane to go to New York to interview at Marvel in D.C., and I, mm-hmm. I had an appointment with Stan, and he wasn't there. You know, mm-hmm. That's okay. But I got there too naive to be too intimidated, and I'd never had a job interview before. I was a paper boy. Mm-hmm. Then when I got older, I got a driver's license, and I drove a newspaper truck and delivered papers before school, then after school. And uh, I had a lack of sleep during those days. But I went to Marvel for my first interview, and, of course, Stan wasn't there. And the place was not a big, beautiful office. It was kind of a college dorm dump, quite honestly. And my first encounter with a famous person was Roy Thomas, and he was less than amiable to me. To the point that Maurice Severin, who's off to the side, was embarrassed by his behavior. Uh-huh. And uh, that was just Roy back then. You know, we've worked together many times on different projects. And she said, Oh, honey, come here. Let me look at your artwork, too. Oh, this is promising. This is nice. And to date myself, she said, uh, Here's kind of a consolation prize. Here's this week's stack of Mighty Marvel magazines. And on the top was Conan number one. Uh-huh. The next day, I interviewed at D.C. with a junior editor and a fantastic artist named Dick Giordano. That that cut the mustard for me. He was great. And he and I became fast friends. He even inked my work later in my career. Uh, He even came to my house a couple times for parties that we had when we lived out in Shawnee. So Roy and Dick, and I ended up working with both of them. And... Then you move and you segue into 1975, my second convention. I'm working with Stan Lee. That's a great story in itself, too. Now, that uh, makes me want to go slightly after. When was your first convention? My first convention was in 1975 in April. It was called Fool Con, like April Fool. And I'd never done one of these before. I had no idea what it was. A buddy of mine said, there's some creative people at Johnson County Community College on the campus, mm-hmm. and they have FoolCon. Why don't you take your uh, your markers and some cardstock and just draw? See if you get a crowd there, and then maybe sell some stuff. And I thought, okay. And my wife was traveling with me then at that point. Been married for about a year. And she'd take the requests, and the requests are coming. And it's like, Batman, mm-hmm. this, that, whatever. Color was five bucks for an illustration. Black and white was $3.50, $3.50. And we're getting busy. And I'm drawing and drawing and drawing. I've got a kid hanging around my table all day long watching. And I thought, eh. But then again, I had nobody to talk to to, to watch or to help me along the way. 
And this kid wanted to watch drawing and talk about comics. Uh, interesting, my wife was helping me fill these orders. I said, who's next? And she said, okay, Howard the Hulk. And I said, what? And she said, or, or the Incredible Duck. I said, which is it? And she said, I, have, I don't know. I can't read my writing. And I said, okay, we've got to figure out a way to do this better. But I draw and sell these drawings. And I receive instant gratification. And this kid, whose name of this day I remember, was, he's probably 11, Tiger Roholt, R-O-H-O-L-T. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I'm exhausted, and I've had been shoving dollars in my pocket. I thought, this is great. My arm was sore. And an older gentleman comes up to me, and he said, uh, thanks for letting Tiger hang out here all day. I said, okay, that's fine. He just is interested. Mm-hmm. I had no one to talk to. Now we're starting what we ended up calling a community of fandom. Mm-hmm. And he said, Tiger's birthday is next month. What he wanted for his birthday was a comic con. And I thought, okay. And he said, would you like to come as the guest artist to his birthday comic con in the uh, Mall, Mall of America? Mm-hmm. And I said, sure. Can I bring my wife? He said, yeah, we'll put you up overnight. It's a one-day show. You'll be the featured artist. And for one day, we have Stan Lee. And I said, sure. And I was just buzzed and so excited, as was my wife. So uh, that's the first really famous, famous person I met. He couldn't have been any better to me or my wife, Sharon. He is was inspiring and uplifting. And when you see Stan, you kind of come up off the ground. And we would have subsequent visits uh, over all those years, professionally and personally, to a uh, Hold dear in our hearts. If you like some time, I'll send you a couple of snapshots from that, that show. Oh, oh sure. That'd yeah. Be, we'll do that'd it be awesome. done today. Yeah. I, you know, again, anything you can provide, that'd be great. Yeah. Now, uh, I want to, want to, want to broach a subject. Uh, we, this past week, we had the passing of Mad Magazine's Al Jaffe. Do you have? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was it 103, 102? 102 years old. Yep. Do you have any stories about him? Have you ever no, met him? no, I never met Al Jaffe. Um, matter of fact, uh, looking at the Mad Magazine people, well, I had a few drinks with Sergio Aragones at a party mm-hmm. one time, but I don't remember meeting anybody else from Mad, which is too bad. Mm-hmm. Because in 2006, I went back to DC to visit my friends Paul Kupperberg, who's a very, very close friend, uh, co worker in comics and on some of his projects. And I love the guy like a brother. We all went upstairs after hanging out in D.C. to MAD, MAD's offices, and looked at all the big old lateral drawers and files at art from the 50s and 60s and 70s up to present day from MAD magazine. Mm-hmm. And I wanted so much to meet an Al Jaffe or a Mort Drucker, mm-hmm. who is the most inspiring caricature artist uh, since Hirschfeld. Yeah. And uh, I, when, I, when I heard that he passed, I checked... And do you know he has the Guinness World Record for the longest career as a comics artist? Se- 73 years and three months, and that was back in March 30th of 2016. That's fantastic. Because you take a guy that's got a life as, as well-lived and as long as he's lived, mm-hmm. and you look at the creative impact of what he's done, and you think there should be a lot of people really, really inspired by him. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, how about... Are you looking forward to going to 103? 
Uh, I'll, be, I'll be lucky to make it to four o'clock today. I think so. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I just whatever the good Lord gives me the next step. I just know that uh, I'm older now, as we all know. Mm-hmm. And I think of two things, two quotes, almost daily. One of which, and I'm serious about this too. Okay. George Reeves said, "You don't have to be Superman to do super things." The other one, it was David Cassidy, if you recall him from the Partridge family. Uh, what, was name? what was his name? Keith Partridge on the Partridge yes, family. Partridge. Yeah, the singer and the performer and all that stuff. Who on his deathbed told his daughter, all the time I've wasted. And that was it. That's his last words. So both of those quotes are very poignant to me. And uh, you know, we've, we've lost two family members in about the last month which is extremely unfortunate, natural causes to both. You don't want that to happen, but when you're facing the future like that, you think, what can I do to, to live as fully and as okay, righteously as possible today? All right. And uh, let's, uh, let's go for a random question here from a deck here. Okay. okay. Uh, what instantly makes you not like another person? Uh, bigotry, uh-huh. but bigot, but bigotry, not in the TV word sense, bigotry about anything. If they want to put a big umbrella over everything, you know, and, uh, uh, selective, selective bigotry, mm-hmm. like this is good. And this is bad. You know, there's so many people that want to lecture so many other people about where they should be in life, who should be accepted, who shouldn't. And yet, at the same time, they are uh, um, hypocritical and two-faced because if you want to apply the term bigotry to certain timely issues right now, apply it to everything and everybody. Right. Did that make sense to you? Yeah, it did. Okay, good. Words, words of wisdom from a wise, wise man. Can I hear that spinner rack again then? Do you have a spinner rack? <laughs> Here you go. I love it. Drives you crazy, but I love it. <laughs> well, Rick, I think uh, we should put a pin in this right now. Okay. Um, I think this was a good good first episode. I think Thank you, you. Know, we have v- very much to talk about in the future. Um, for next time, let's talk about uh, the distinguished competition, DC Comics. It sounds good to me. That to me, that's like family. But then again, it really is all like family. Marvel, mm-hmm. DC, and all of our community. And that in itself is a major blessing. All right. All right, everyone. Uh, we'll see you later. Thank you. Copyright 2023 Half Big Genre Productions. All rights reserved.